Let me get my cell phone. I got, we're waiting for a very important text. It hasn't come yet. So if I hear a text, I got to, I got to respond to it. No, he changed his mind. He does not need you to come. <laughs> <laughs> and, He's inside the and I unlocked my car. He <laughs> started to break the window instead. Yeah. He's being a window with you. Okay. It's our word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for the day, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the prayers we have, Lord, to study your word, Father, and pray, God, you bless today's lesson in Jesus' name. Amen. We left off. We are just starting out in chapter number 12. We did a little bit of a preview on chapter 12 last week, so we won't do it this week. So let's just jump right in. Let's read verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I've heard lots of messages on these two verses. I've used them a lot in some other things that I've taught, uh, but they're all—it's all different than when I studied out. It's different than what I thought it was. So I won't tell you what it is. He says, "I beseech you," means I beg you, please. Paul's being diplomatic here. He just finished up chapter eleven, and uh, uh, so, so Paul's being diplomatic here to the church at Rome. He says, "Present your bodies." That Greek word for body is soma, S-O-M-A. So now you learned a Greek word. You can tell all your friends that you learned a Greek word, soma. Yep. So much for that. Um, meaning the physical body, our body. Mind, in the next verse, uh, focuses on something else. But in this verse, it's a physical body here. And the word for present is a technical term for presenting the, the, the uh, Levitical sacrifice and offering. That kind of present. Present your bodies like a sacrifice. Is that, that, that same type of word there. So we as believers are to offer or present ourselves to God. With all of our living energies and powers directed consciously to uh, serving God. That's what that verse means. I had a preacher in, in California when I was there. He said, uh, God gave you, Jesus gave you his life. All he wants is yours back. Pretty fair. He used that same verse. He says a living sacrifice. D.L. Moody once said, uh, the problem with living sacrifices is they keep Trying to keep uh, crawl off the altar. Amen. Living sacrifice. <laughs> so the key to this whole matter is a living sacrifice. And it doesn't mean just one time. This is a continual sacrifice. This is day by day. Uh, let's compare something. Let's, let's compare the slain offerings in the Old Testament with Christ. In the Old Testament, the offering was slain. And it was dead forever. The sacrifices were a type of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It was looking forward to that. 
the type is a representation of one thing to another. So the lamb represented Christ, uh, that he was going to be sacrificed. Uh, the anti-type, who knows what an anti-type is? Well, we're against types. No, that's not what that means. The anti-type is the fulfillment of the type. Okay? So when you hear, when you hear someone say the anti-type, it's going to be in the New Testament, and it's going to be the fulfillment of an Old Testament type. Amen. That's what that means. Okay? So when the Old Testament sacrificial system and its prophetic intent requires that the anti-type in the New Testament should be changed or updated with new information brought about by the actual event, the actual appearance of Christ. Something's going to have to update it. What's, what's going to have to update here? Well, let's, let's, let's look at it. The, the sacrificial lamb was a powerful and instructive type of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when Christ died, when he came and died on the cross like he said he would, he died, but what? He didn't stay dead. Amen. And the sacrificial systems in the Old Testament couldn't replicate that, couldn't, couldn't uh, prefigure that. The land couldn't get back up and say, okay, I represent Jesus. Mm -hmm. So the actual anti-type, when it actually occurs, it occurs with updated information for us. Okay, so that's, that's what that's trying to say. Okay, he didn't die forever because there followed the resurrection of the dead. So in lieu of the old sacrifice that we used to do in the Old Testament, not we, but them, I'm not quite that old yet. God ordained that the Christian himself be presented as a living sacrifice. Dying to sin, buried with Christ in baptism, and rising up to walk in newness of life. This provides a continual witness of the primary facts of the gospel. What are the facts of the gospel? The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Our being saved represents those. Look at uh, look at Romans chapter six. Back a few pages. The first four verses of Romans chapter six. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us. Uh, as were baptized unto Jesus Christ, were baptized unto his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should, be, should walk in newness of life. Amen. When a pastor baptizes somebody, he says, they're risen to newness of life. It's a new life. So, the same way that the Old Testament sacrifice looked forward, the gospel looks back. It looks back on the sacrificial lamb that pointed forward. And it's evident that Jesus Christ is the focus of all religion, uh, all true religion, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus Christ was in focus back then. They weren't. They, they might not have been sure what they were sacrificing, what that represented, 
but I think the Bible is clear on what it did. They should have known. Okay, but we look back on that. That represented Jesus. That was a type of Christ. So every true Christian himself, herself, is a presented sacrifice, witnessing to the great uh, uh, facts of the gospel. That's why God doesn't just kill us when we get saved. That wouldn't be a real popular thing. I'd just like to get saved. I don't think so. Everybody would, I'm away for to do my deathbed confession or something, maybe, you know, and get saved then. No. He let us live so we would be this living sacrifice. Romans Amen. chapter 12 is where we're at. Keep an eye on this text. Can't make it today. It's a holiday weekend. Call back Tuesday. So, the body, the soma, as we discussed there in verse 1, is the chief instrument of a person that is to be presented to God through service to humanity by preaching, teaching, ministering, helping, not just merely taking up space for a time. We're supposed to be busy throughout our Christian life. Body is a chief instrument. It's hard to get much done without one. You ever tried it before? Your mind over matter? Pizza, come here. Doesn't work. Body's got to get that thing. The mind will be happy afterwards, but, okay. So the body is the mechanism that God uses to do things. Now, verse number one, the word holy modifies the word sacrifice. Holy sacrifice. And since the sacrifice in view is the body, we just found out, this amounts to declaring the body as such is not evil. And we'll see in verse number two about the mind. Acceptable to God, it says there. Holy, acceptable unto God. Holiness is the um, condition of acceptance. Is God going to uh, accept you if you're, you're sinful and backslidden? And No, holy acceptable to God. That's the condition of the acceptance, holiness. Just like in the Old Testament, when they were warned through the Levitical law, the sacrifice had to be without defect, unblemished, and without spot. You know, because there were those, it had to be written down because there were those that wouldn't do that. They'd bring their old lame 100-year-old billy goat there and say, I'm going to sacrifice this to the Lord. No, it had to be a sacrifice. The sacrifice had to be perfect. Okay? That's what makes it a sacrifice. If you drag your old junk there, it's not a sacrifice. So, in like manner, the Christian sacrifice must be holy and pure in God's sight, otherwise he rejects it. And it says here in verse number one, which is your reasonable service. This is worship is by... Uh, by reason or the soul. Or, uh, the reason pertains to the mind. We reason through things by the mind. At least those of it can still, us that can still do that. I have trouble reasoning things. I look for a reason, but I don't always reason through things. I can't figure this out because. 
Reasonable service means uh, what is mental or pertaining to reason. And the reason here, this, this word reason here, uh, stands opposed not to what is just uh, uh, foolish or unreasonable, but to the external service of the Jews. The Jews reasoned that they could get to heaven by their works, external services. That doesn't work, does it? That was unreasonable because it wouldn't work. They were trying to work their way to heaven. God wants their mind. So the worship of the Christian is what pertains to the mind or what is spiritual. Their worship of the Jews was external. It wasn't internal. Verse number two. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Mm. I used to use an example of a partially filled volleyball or something, you know, uh, being conformed by the world. What happens? That pushes in that ball. Why? There's not enough in there to keep it from, from doing that. So you fill it full of air, and it can't be conformed by the world anymore. It's going to be round no matter what you do to it. They should cut it. But anyways, um, but it's, it's, it's not conformed to the pressures around it. It's solid. So it says here, be not conformed to this world. Christians are in the world. We're not of the world. We're just in it. We're in that world. So we're subject to all the world's allurements, all the world's attractions, unless things are rejected. That rejection of worldly things is what Paul's talking about here. Reject those worldly things. Reject those things that would harm the cause of Christ. That rejection is what Paul's talking about here. The world, not talking about the planet, but natural habits, desires, Values, judgments of the natural man. The natural man is apart from the love of God. Natural man is the old man. Amen. Don't let those... That old man likes to creep up and grab you sometimes, doesn't he? That old person, old lady, old... No, baby. Old girl, old... Old person, old... Yeah, anyways. They like to reach back up and grab you sometimes. You ever been grabbed by that before? Yeah. Yeah. The things of God's Spirit are foolishness to the unsaved. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter number 2, verse 14. Amen. But the natural man, the old man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Go try to have a deep uh, biblical study or conversation with somebody and it's foolishness to them. Mm -hmm. uh, even trying to witness to folks, they think it's foolish. They think it's foolish. So the Christian must adopt a, a totally different, a totally new set of values. My values changed when I got saved. 
my judgments changed, changed when I got saved. Based on a newer and higher concept of life. Things are different now. My outlook is different than what it used to be. My uh, outlook used to be on, on daily stuff. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? What's going to happen today? But now it's on eternal things. And the older I get, the more it's on eternal things. So in the first two verses, both the physical body and the mind are seen as consciously controlled and directed. question is, who does the controlling? That's the question. Even the mind, which is the portion of a person's body which does the controlling, must itself be brought into subjection to God. Whatever rules or whoever rules man's spirit, that essential center of man's control, is the seat of authority in your life. Over our Thought and behavior, whatever rules us, is control, is controlling us. The seat of authority is supposed to change when you get saved. He used the word transform. What does transform mean? Change. You ever see a transformer toy? Boy, I wish I had one of those sometimes. You know, something looked like this, but all of a sudden you can change it into, uh, you know, Neat car or something, whatever you wanted to. It was changed, transformed. When you become a Christian, you're different than what you were before. You transformed. And it didn't happen all at once. It's a continuing process. Some people are victims of self-deception and consider themselves Christians while they are yet unchanged in heart and life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, Amen. he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Amen. Satan does two things. I heard this once from a, a pastor. He was preaching a message. Satan does two things. Satan tries to convince the lost that they're saved. How does he do that? False religion. Uh, denying God and the deity of Christ. False religion. You look at any cult, Jesus is not the paramount figure in that religion. Right. Something or somebody else is. Mm -hmm. And second, he tries to convince the saved that they're lost. That's right. Satan wants to analyze your past so he can paralyze your present. How many folks are, are stuck in their Christian lives because of something happened in the past? Mm -hmm. That's under the blood. That's right. Only one that can't give it up is us. That's right. And Satan's going to remind us of that over and over again. And we're going to struggle with that thing and we're going to be stuck right as a baby in Christ for our That's entire right. Christian life. Amen. Analyze your past to paralyze your present. If he, can, he can't render you lost. He can render you unusable. That's what he does. But he'll convince you that you're not saved because you still have these thoughts or this thing going on in your mind. Don't let Satan live rent-free in your mind. He, he'll, he'll do it. That's right. So after salvation, by the renewing, it says here, 
after salvation, there's a growth process by which the mind is truly in an active state of being renewed. How long does that last? Your entire life. You're being renewed, refreshed, stuff added on. Through prayer, study, worship, and the experiences of our Christian life, the inward man is in a constant state of renewing. I've been saved for over 46 years. I'm being renewed. I wish some other parts of me would be renewed other than my spiritual life. I wish I'd get renewed muscles and hair and all that stuff. You know, if you're going to renew me, why don't you renew me? You know, uh, But it's our minds. Renewing of our, our Christian minds. The renewing of the mind is not possible except through the maintenance of God upon the inner man. How does God maintain the inner man? Through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. That's how he maintains our inner man. Word of God, Holy Spirit. That you may prove, it says here in verse 2, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That you may prove. In the case that the soul which allows God to take control over it is in harmony with God's will. If we fight, rebel, reject what God wants us to do, we're not in unison with God. Verse number three, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according, to, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. The next few chapters are going to be dealing with Relationships, conduct, okay? So let's just get into it. Here it is. Verse 13. Even after Christ is in control of the inner man, or even then, old habits, old values, old judgments uh, peek at you again. They, they, they arise again. Anybody battle with old things? You know, I do sometimes. We battle with old things, old thoughts, old circumstances. We battle with old established habit patterns. I had habits before I got saved. I still have them. I still eat. <laughs> but I used to have really bad language. I didn't stop cussing until I cussed in church at a lady. I mean, just telling her something. I used some wrong words, and then I felt really, really stupid. And she, being a very gracious lady, said, you're a new Christian, aren't you? I said, oh, yeah, about, about a week. She said, you'll work through that. Oh, that's great. I wasn't beat up by some guy, Amen. which I've seen before. I was, uh, what do you call it? I was graciously carried on, and Amen. she understood that. So that was good. But that, that's when I consciously started watching what I said. Because I was embarrassed. I embarrassed myself. Um, the body is easier to bring under control than the mind. <clears throat> I can lay my body down in bed, but my mind keeps on clicking. <laughs> like a Timex watch. Tick, tick, tick. I can't turn it off sometimes. Try drugs, try booze, try, you know. <laughs> um, 
I can't turn it off and I'll lay there for hours thinking about something that doesn't make any difference or something that happened or something that might happen. And I worry or I, I, I'm concerned about that thing and I think about it. Any of you ever do that? Yes. Hard to turn it off. So I put a hammer by my bed now that I can just, <laughs> that, I'm, that I'm cutting Z's then, boy. Um, so I can go to sleep in about two seconds. I'm tired, but I can't make it. Unless they make them watch the clock. Bad thing to do. Watch that clock. Oh, it's 9.30. It's 10.30. Boy, it's midnight. Man, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I haven't slept yet. Then I finally fall asleep about 4.35 o'clock. Then it's almost time to get up. You know, so it's just frustrating. It's terrible. I don't know why I brought that up, but uh, Christ is control of the inner man and his old habits and things that we battle have got to stop. We've got to keep those under, under control. The body is easier to control than the mind. Let me show you something. Look at, uh, look at Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. Mm. Yep. I gave you the right phone number. Okay. Sometimes I don't know my phone number. I don't call myself that often. <laughs> hey, Kurt, what are you doing? Well, you know, I don't call myself, so I always get my, I get the three numbers mixed up. Three, I throw the right numbers, but I get them out of order sometimes, but what I gave you is right. All right. <laughs> I can call it and make sure if you want me to. <laughs> okay. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. <clears throat> Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man. He what? He humbled himself Amen. and became obedient unto death, even the death <clears throat> of the cross. Amen. Jesus got control of his mind. He knew what was going to happen. He humbled himself, and that's hard for people to do. These days, it's even harder. Uh, when I was in the army, uh, one of the I don't remember which general it was, but every general's got a, a new thing they got to do. You got to change hats. You got to do whatever it is. Be all you can be. You ever heard that one before? Mm -hmm. Then it turned into be all you think you are, <laughs> which wasn't quite as nice. You know, these guys walk around strutting their stuff there, but. Uh, uh, pride, <clears throat> ambition, conceit, vainglory, and self-love of the mind can only be driven out by the Holy Spirit. And we all have these things, but we've got to have them controlled, though. So Christ made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. He didn't walk here, you know, pull up in a limousine, uh, get stepping out of a Learjet with, with robes on. He was born in a manger. He sacrificed the very thing which we cling on to tenaciously, our mind, our thoughts, uh, maybe our pride, our conceit, whatever it is. We hang on to those things. Let me give you an example here. You ever fill up a gas can before? Anybody? 
Everybody see somebody fill up a gas can? Anybody know what a gas can is? So when you fill up a gas can, let's say it's on a hot day especially, gas can's empty and you start putting the gas nozzle in there and you open up the little vent and you start putting gas in there, what comes out of the vent? Air. If you don't go too far. If you go too far, then gas can. Anyways, air comes out because that's what's filling up the can. Nature wants to balance everything out, so it fills that can when it's empty. It fills it full of air. When you're putting gas in, the air comes out. Same thing with us. Amen. Something is occupying the space in our mind, and when it gets renewed and filled, those old things got to go out. Amen. Just like a vent on a gas can. It, you can hear it come out. You know, but it's the same thing you're saying here. So I think Paul's trying to say that unspiritual things in your mind go out as spiritual things come in. Vice versa. Unspiritual things go in your mind and spiritual things might get vented out a little bit. So that's the way it works. That's what he's talking about here. So Paul's still on the subject of... Excuse me, I must get this from Joe. Hello? Yeah. 15 minutes. Pardon me. <laughs> should, have, should have told him to tell Kamala not to be so anti-military. Anyways, so Paul is dealing with the problem of getting a new mind in the Christians. He's dealing with these Christians in Rome, Jews, Gentiles. They're having some... Uh, Conflict there we talked about before, and we'll talk about again in the next chapter. Uh, conflict there, and he's trying to say, renew your minds. And the real paradox of even great Christians, very, very spiritual people, have to battle this. Uh, there's rewards for being a great man of God or a woman of God. Uh, we gain respect, not we, they. Gain respect among our fellow Christians. Uh, there, there's rewards and honors of godly living. Amen. Things like these can easily lead to pride, conceit, arrogance, self-righteousness, right. which are totally repulsive to God. Amen. I've seen it. Yes. Great men of God, but they won't give you the time of day. Have you seen that, Pastor? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, so he says here in verse number three, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. This was the main sin of Israel. They fell into the error of thinking more highly than they ought to think. And that finally led to their hardening we talked about in chapter 11, didn't we? They were hardened. They hardened themselves and God hardened them because of their conceit and their self-righteousness. We also saw in chapter number 11 how Paul cautioned the Gentiles about conceit. In verse number 25, don't be conceit, don't follow the Jews or the exact same thing is going to happen to you. Amen. So in this structure of the, uh, uh, the recurrence of this warning, Paul forbids conceit, which naturally rises in the mind. That's the old man. Uh, people who, through God's mercy, are permitted to enjoy uh, a little distinction in their lives. I'm just a regular pew warmer. I'm a 
but I am the, I am the usher. I've been an usher, I'm almost going to retire as an usher. I, I've been an usher for over 20 years. 22, I bet, almost. My third service here. Hey, give us a hand ushering. Where'd you guys go? So anyways, I have a distinction there, which I will get an award with some, someday I'll get an award. In heaven, probably, an award. Usher. But it's that thing in our mind that builds us up and starts to look down on others. We'll see that more in chapter 14, how there's a real struggle about things and how people have to deal with that. People that are super spiritual, and I mean that legitimately, really very spiritual men that you really look up to, they, they uh, have reputation, they have respect. And that's great, they ought to have respect. They can't let it go to their head, though. Because things like this can lead to pride, conceit, arrogance, and self-righteousness. All that stuff is, is, is repulsive, repulsive to God. God's not saying debase yourself. I may bump on a log. I'm nothing. He doesn't say do that. That's right. uh, we're to appreciate the blessings of God. But there's a perfect balance here somewhere. And that's what we got to find, Paul's saying. <clears throat> It's right and proper for one to think highly of himself, but no more than is fitting for a sinner saved by grace. Okay? We can't puff ourselves up because God chose us or because God needed us. Right. God caught a, caught a winner when he saved me. I've heard folks say that. God, God needed me. God chased me down. Yeah. <laughs> So we gotta think, we can think highly, we can be proud of ourselves, we can be think ourselves, think ourselves highly, but not no more than what we should. Amen. Verse number four, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. You might have noticed that. We don't rotate preachers through here. Women don't preach in our church. They preach in other churches, they don't preach in our church. Different offices. But all members have not the same office, it says in verse number four. Amen. As we looked at last week in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. All Christians are part of the same entity. What are we all a part of? Body of Christ. And we're all members of one body and joined in communion and fellowship with each other. There should be no competition for honors or rewards. No competition. I think if someone does something great, amen. Praise God. God bless you. I'm glad you were able to do that. That's our attitude. Not, oh, you're so wonderful, great. You're not. God was able to use you in a wonderful way. Amen. Because you're willing to be used. That's the important thing. Various gifts, abilities, and offices or functions as distributed among Christ's body uh, as uh, he needs, as he finds necessary. We don't have a senior pastor, a junior pastor, assistant pastor, assistant to the assistant pastor, and on down the line, like some of these megachurches do. We don't have a pastor of this and a pastor of that and a pastor of this. We got one pastor. 
various abilities that God gives some Christians to do. Well, I'm not the best teacher I know. I know a lot of them that are better than me, but we can't afford them. We can only afford me. And that don't cost nothing. <laughs> no, there are others that are much better than I am, uh, better speakers and stuff, but you know, God might have given me a gift here, a, a ability to teach, Amen. but I don't look down on those that can't or that don't or that won't. I used to like Brother Tom's teaching better than my own. Not a whole lot better than my own, but a little bit better than my own. <laughs> so, Paul uses this, this analogy in verse number 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He uses this analogy that, that a foot shouldn't be jealous of the ear. They both got their jobs to do. Try walking on an ear one time. Start sticking your foot up there and see if you can hear from it. No, we all have different functions. Why? To make the church go. Right. Look at your car. If we were all the tire, if we were all the door lock, <laughs> you know, nothing would get done. Nothing would get done. <laughs> get locked inside. <laughs> Verse number five. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members of members one another. The key is the body in Christ. That's the key phrase here. Christ is the unifying source. He's the emblem, he's the beginning, he's the circle, he's he's what makes everything happen. He's the unifying source. Everyone meaning as individuals, members one of another. Strictly speaking, the members are called members in relationship to the body, not in a relationship with each other. We are actually fellow members with each other. We're members of the body. I'll finish up a couple minutes. You can go out there and see if he's here or not. Whatever. In fact, I'll finish up right here. Let's just finish up here. In, in, uh, I'll start in verse number six next week. My word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for the lesson. Lord, pray God you'd... Uh, Bless the service to follow, Lord. Pray God you'd help Pastor get his Bible and his phone and his stuff he needs, Lord, his briefcase before the church service starts, Father. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.